Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is on the Gorin race. This is part of our race overview series where we go over all the possible player races. And right now we're on the ultimate wilderness races. A Gorin skin is a complex layer of fibrous vines and rinds with a texture similar to moss covered bark. Gorin faces consist of layered petals that flush and flutter at a whim, allowing them to mimic the facial behaviors of their would-be devourers. Christian Gorins, this is our second look at them. Our first look was back in a bestiary, where they had only a quarter page. Ultimate Wilderness gives them the featured race treatment, which means five pages. I'm pretty excited for this. I really like the Gorins. I think the nature theme in general, and especially the tree people theme, was something rather unexplored for the most part. Gorins gave us a taste of that, but wasn't super fleshed out. So I'm really excited to see what we get with the Ultimate Wilderness treatment of the Gorin. So we got a whole page and just a little bit more of backstory and lore. Essentially, there was a war between two nations led by great wizards. How come a lot of... I've just noticed that a lot of our races is like, oh, wizards were fighting. <laughs> and one wizard blighted the enemy's land. So that enemy went to a druid and said, hey, we need food. So he created the Gorin plant that was hardy, propagated itself, but eventually developed intelligence. Thanks, druids. <laughs> but they were designed to be eaten, so they're delicious, and that has followed them the rest of their lives. So much of Pathfinder's deep lore involves the origins of wizards throwing bat guano at each other. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the genesis That's of right, the world Christian. came from bat guano. <laughs> <laughs> there's a uh, there's actually some good stuff from the lore description. You know, when we read the bestiary, it talked about there was like just one trait about how they're delicious. So you get like a plus two to something for getting eaten, and they took that and they said, you know what? I got a whole backstory for that. It even talks about them like they don't trust humans. They're grateful for them making them, but they kind of are always afraid they're going to get eaten again. <laughs> they look at their history books and are like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got some really cool uh, lore about how they decided to take humanoid form and even sexual form as in gender, gendered form, in order to sort of endear themselves to their would-be eaters. They don't give a crap about being human or looking like a humanoid, but they're like, hey, this gets us further in the world. Hey, let me put some holes where the eyes go and the mouth go. Hey, now actually people aren't that scared of me. I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> if I look more like a person, maybe they won't eat me. I don't think they're cannibals. That's why they made us. There's a fun little fact here. Like, they don't like some of the more warmongering humanoids. You know, like goblins that love fire. And gnolls. <gasps> Who couldn't love gnolls? But I like the lore. I think they really expounded more on that small little bit they had in the beast chair. I was excited to see it. In the original take on the Gorons, were they... Did they have this petally mossy aesthetic to them? I don't recall that. They did. Okay, I'm just, I just can't seem to remember the, <laughs> first it was the Gatling, and I was like, yeah. wait, they're human? And now it's the Gorons, I'm like, wait, they're trees? They actually contradict a little bit. They talk about how their face are made of flower petals, and their skin sort of bark moss, uh, but then they later on say they can look pretty much however they want, long as they're still sort of humanoid. They sort of lost the ability over time to become just normal plants. They, they have to look humanoid now. So, so there's that, that counter. I would usually say, whatever you want, if, as long as it's plant-like, you can look like it. The next page here does show us a, a more primal and less clothed Gorin. This is Hulk with like, almost looks like Dreadlocks version of vines on their head, but still got that petal face. 
Interesting. I'm glad they can have some sort of variety to them. But let's look at their statistics. Christian, talk to me about their ability scores. Gorns are hardy, guileful, and eager to explore their emotions, but they process complex thoughts slowly. They get a plus two to their constitution, a plus two to their charisma, and a minus two to their intelligence. Overall, a pretty good stat score. It doesn't really take you away from doing anything besides uh, perhaps intelligence-based spellcasters, but for the most part, you won't have a problem doing most martial builds with this, and any spellcaster relies on wisdom or charisma, you'll have a good time with this. Gorons have the plant type. Now, this is something new in Ultimate Wilderness, back in the Bestiary version. They had the plant type, and they got all the abilities that come with being a plant type, all the qualities and traits that come with that. Here in Ultimate Wilderness, they make a distinction. Gorns have the plant type, but they lack the immunities to mind-affecting, paralysis, poison, polymorph, sleep, and stunning effects that type usually has. And that's just called plant. That's the name of the trait. I wish they named it something a little less common, something I could, you know, search and easily understand. If I type plant, I have a feeling I'm going to get a lot of results. If you lose what looks like to me all the immunities that plants have, what do you actually get from the plant type? So they get low light vision still, and they do not have to sleep. Okay, that's interesting. I I like that they did that. It's something they've already explored with the android when they gave them a lot of the construct traits, but they basically picked and choose which ones weren't game-breaking, or gave them bonuses to emulate their immunities without giving them outright immunity. I would like to see a lot more of this going forward. It was a little weird, though. When they did it back then, they didn't give them, like, this is the construct type, but they don't get the construct type. I don't like it. I think they should change it a little bit. I mean, this might be Caleb's, like, OCD, but can't we just make it plant type, but... All immunities become plus two saves or something like that. Something, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely like the execution with the android a lot better because they just got a racial trait that said like constructed or something like that, which said you get the following bonuses. This is saying go look at all the stuff the plants give you and take away the vast majority of it. And listen, I get it. If they didn't have these immunities, it'd be overpowered. A lot of the bestiary races, when we covered them, we said, hmm, would this be sort of good to play? When you look at the other feature races in the advanced race guide, most of them, most GMs would say, sure, go ahead. Play the Tiefling, play the Tengu, don't play the Surf and Evelyn. Go ahead, I don't mind it. It's, it's you know, they're balanced. And so we look at the Bestiary races and say, hmm, are they balanced? So when they brought in here, they really had to make a strong point to make sure they were balanced. So I get the balance and I get, hey, if you still have these immunities, guess what? I can't become a shifter. That's a polymorph effect. Ah. And who wants to, and you got to play the Gorin and you want to play the shifter. I mean, I could see somebody who buys this book and wants to use both of them at the same time. I get it. But I think it's also a little ham-fisted like, hey, I think I remember hearing it at, at, at Paizo's, one of their um, conventions panels. They said something like, I, ta- I, said to, I turned to my friend and I said, you know, we're the game designers. We can just say it doesn't work. You know, we can. And let's just say it doesn't work. It just feels so ham-fisted. Whereas, like you said, the Android felt a little smarter. But I get it. I understand it. I just think it's 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 just a little weird. Can I say it's weird? Is it fine to say weird? Internet, is that okay with you? Gosh, always attacking me, Internet. I'm tired of it. Gorons are medium creatures, and they have a normal move speed of 30 feet. Gorons begin play speaking common in Sylvan. Makes sense. Sylvan is the language of fey in nature. Gorons with high intelligence scores can choose any languages they want, except secret languages such as Druidic. Oh, what, the tree can't speak his own language? Okay. <laughs> r slash gatekeeping <laughs> so far i think the only race that can learn druidic we've we've seen is Edithians, right yes uh, technically they just didn't put that little parenthesis except druidic so mm-hmm. it's assumed that they could just can gorons have the very thematically named ability 
plus two natural armor. Mm-hmm. Gorons have tough, rugged skin. Wait, that's actually backwards. They don't even tell you the mechanic of it. The, the title is literally the mechanic. It doesn't say in the description anywhere. <laughs> it gi- it gives them plus two natural armor. So technically, rules is written. This does nothing. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> that's really funny. And I'm looking at the bestiary entry. It did the same there. They just copy-pasted without any sort of editing. No editing. It seems like it's a theme. I want to call this fibrous delicious gorns take a minus two penalty on escape artist and combat maneuver checks to escape a grapple against a creature that has a bite attack with the grab ability i just love how oddly specific that is like can't it just be all (laughs) grapple checks why does it have to be against something with a bite attack i get the bite what am i supposed to i'm grappling i'm also going you smell delicious you just like lick their face it's like dude we're fighting i know i can't help myself (laughs) stop emitting pheromones jeez (laughs) Gorons have natural magic, as long as they have a charisma score of 11 or higher. And guess what? They have plus two to charisma, so you're going to always qualify for this unless you dump charisma. They gain the following spell-like abilities. Uh, once per day, they can cast Detect Poison, Good Berry, and Purify Food and Drink. Good Berry specifies that it actually comes from the Gorons' own body, so you're actually eating your friend's, you know... <laughs> body so it's a treat it's not as weird gorns don't have they don't have this like society problems that you guys do it was talking about in the in their lore description was like they like think completely alien and they'll laugh and they'll you know frown and they'll get upset and angry but nobody can really tell like what exactly it is because they're just faking it they're just trying to be human-like I'd prefer them to walk around like that race from Mass Effect that had to describe their emotions. <laughs> oh, where you just end everything with, it's good to see you, happy. <laughs> exactly. Gorons have seed. As a full round action, a Goron can expel the seed from an orifice in its abdomen. If planted in fertile ground and left undisturbed for 2d6 days, the seed grows into a healthy duplicate of the original Goron, save that the duplicate can reallocate all skill ranks upon sprouting. Once a Goron expels this seed, it gains one negative level, and it dies as soon as the duplicate sprouts. The duplicate replaces the previous Goron character. And in the lore, it was talking about when you sprout, when you come in, the new body can look completely different as much as you want. And what it doesn't explicitly state, and what I assume is the case, is the new Goron does not have the memories of the Goron it is replacing since it has expelled the seed. In fact, it does according to the lore. Oh, it's you in the lore. Your own bio. consciousness, your own everything. It's 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 you. You're essentially your soul as it goes into that seed. Interesting. So I would argue this is a really powerful ability. It kind of saves you from death in a sense. You can lay the seed, go do adventuring stuff, and you end up dying. Well, your character comes back in whatever you rolled, two d six days. It has a lot of role playing and story potential. Where do you leave the seed? Where is it safe enough to leave it? Well, what happens if? Someone finds your seed. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of lore that goes along with the seed in the bio here, and I think this is a really interesting ability. Yeah, to me, it's the premier abilities that make them them. I don't know how power gaming it is because you're walking around with a negative level for 2d6 days while you're adventuring, and if the time comes up in the middle of combat, oops, I'm gone. I, I see it way more as a role-playing thing. Gorons live to be 20, then their body withers away, but they live infinitely with these the seed mechanic they cannot propagate themselves there is a set number of gorn in the world 
Uh, so unless they're killed prematurely, that number will never change because they'll just keep propagating themselves this way. It's really interesting. And even like the name section, it was talking about, you know, when they get new bodies, sometimes it's like, hey, time to pick a new name of somebody I liked when I was in that previous form. I like how flexible and renewing these guys are. And they say they can walk around with one negative level, but it, it doesn't say that the negative level can't be removed. One negative level, it doesn't say temporary. I guess it'd be permanent. Still pretty easy to remove, honestly. Not much of a downside for it. Is that true? I've never tried to remove a negative level. As the way it's written, I think just like a lesser restoration would work, which is huh. like a level two spell. Actually, double checking, uh, lesser restoration wouldn't cover it. The regular restoration spell would, which is a level four spell, and it does cost a bit of money, uh, but not too much that I wouldn't take that drawback for basically buying a free res. I guess. I, my mind just doesn't go there. And I feel like that's almost like hampering. Like, okay, guys, we got to go back in 2d6 days. We got to make sure we can't keep traveling to the north. We got to come back here. Unless you could put it in a pot. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to sprout from a pot. <laughs> exactly. Why is it got to stay still? Put it on a it's train. Like a giant pot you just keep in the carriage at all times. <laughs> Gorons are light dependent. Gorons take 1d4 points of constitution damage. Each day they go without exposure to sunlight. This is one of those rare times I think a negative racial trait is good on its own. I don't see this as trying to really balance anything. I see this as only trying to reflect that it's a plant creature and it needs sunlight. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I agree with that. And you get a full day. So, I mean, obviously you're going to have problems when you go into the dark, but there's plenty of items and magic items that can generate light, even as sunlight. I bet even a light spell, you know, talk to your GM would work. But I really like this. I think it's well designed. I mean, it would have been kind of weird if it was like, you get a plus two bonus while you're in the sun to seeing things or something stupid, to growing faster, aging quicker. I mean, come on, get out of here. I mentioned the spell already, but this is just 1d4 points of constitution damage. Damage is very easy to spell. That is totally cured by restoration lesser. So as long as you got a wand of lesser restoration, the Goron could technically just walk around outside of sunlight if it was really a problem. I, I think if your GM decided to put you in an Underdark campaign and let you pick a Goron, he's probably a jerk and should give you one of those for free. <laughs> Past life knowledge. Gorons have memories encoded in their seeds. They treat all knowledge skills as class skills. Good way to show that they're ancient, that they're they're very old, and that they've been around for a long time, even if this body's only been around 20 years. So this kind of overlaps if they decide to be, say, a wizard or a bard. They already get those abilities, which is the only reservation I have about it, because I would like to get all I can. But we'll see if there's any alternate racial traits to replace that. Mm, that's a good point. And that is the end of their basic racial traits. They're almost exactly the same as the Gorn in the book, except that they have that little plant exception. So let's see what these new expanded options, alternate racial traits. They have the option of creator's legacy. Infused with the druidic magic of the creator, Gorons quickly take to nature-based spells and spellcasting. Goron blood ragers and sorcerers with the verdant bloodline treat their charisma score as two points higher for all sorcerer spells and class abilities. Goron clerics and druids with the plant domain use their domain powers and spells at plus one caster level. This doesn't give the Goron early access to level-based powers. It only affects powers that they could already use without this trait. This replaces past life knowledge. The Verdant Bloodline is a new bloodline, actually, that we'll go over in a little bit, is introduced with this book, and it's in the Gorin's um, stat blocks. Well, unfortunately, the thing that is replacing past life knowledge is something a bard wouldn't take. Right. Um, Blood Ragers, Sorcerers, Clerics, and Druids would all really like to have past life knowledge. 
So it's a choice as to which you think you would prioritize more. Mm -hmm. Martial recollection, the personal history of many Gorns, is scarred with desperate struggles for survival, and memories of that conflict are deeply ingrained within their seeds. Whenever Gorns with this racial trait grow new bodies from their seeds, they reselect all combat feats known instead of reallocating skills. This replaces nature magic. I think a powerful thing replaced with a powerful ability. Equally powerful, I should say. And how useful this is depends on your GM. I'm a GM that, for the most part, if you ask me that you want to change things up, I'm fine with that. But having a Pathfinder Society safe and in-rules way to change out your combat feats is definitely really powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what an entire class is built on. The Brawler. Being able to switch out your feats on the fly. They can choose a cult scion. Created in part from an esoteric ritual, many Gorns are innately sensitive to psychic powers and influences. They gain psychic sensitivity as a bonus feat and treat knowledge arcana and knowledge planes as class skills. This replaces past life knowledge. Psychic sensitivity is a feat that says you basically get the occultist skill unlocks. So if you have enough ranks in an occultist-based skill, an occult-based skill, you get some sort of bonus to it. If you're playing a psychic campaign where that is relevant, this might be a good choice for you. So would a bard care about this? No, not at all. Uh, well, maybe. If the bard or wizard were playing in a psychic campaign where occult skills were a thing, then yes. Okay, good. But for the most part, no. Well, then finally, we have Spell Eater. Gorons were originally created to survive and thrive in a magic-blasted wasteland, and over the centuries, some Gorons have adopted greater abilities to overcome magic in general. Once per day, a Goron can cast Dispel Magic as a spell-like ability. If the Goron's favored class is a spell-casting class, the Goron gains a plus-two racial bonus on Dispel checks. This replaces past life knowledge and nature magic. Ugh, we've talked about how Dispel rules aren't very fun or intuitive but if you're gonna do it a bonus is a bonus however it appears to me that the three abilities that replace past life knowledge i mean a bard would only take in very specific circumstances i i think a bard would always take the spell eater one do you uh unless they really wanted the nature magic spell like abilities that's actually really good just having okay. the ability to either save your ally from a magical effect or to stop an enemy from benefiting from something once a day with a plus two bonus is really good. There's not a lot of ways to boost your dispel checks, so it, it is potentially very powerful. Alrighty. I have a dream. That my poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. My friend Christian and I were just playing some role-playing games while listening to the speech made by some GM named Martin Luther King. I'm not quite clear how any of this relates to RPGs, though. Well, Caleb, I'm not sure when he says character, he's talking about the kind of character that you're thinking of. Hey, but do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. 
So go ahead, grab some dice and join us. Alright Christian, I think I get it now. He's saying we're supposed to judge our fellow players by the content of their character sheet, not the color of their orc or elvish skin. Oh, Caleb, I'm not sure that you'll ever understand. So now that they get more pages, they get a list of favorite class options. Any interesting ones, Christian? There's a couple of them that allow them to affect plants in ways that you normally couldn't or to be more effective when interacting with plants. Druid adds a small bonus to their caster level when casting spells on plants. The Mesmerist can uh, choose tricks and then apply them to plants, even though they're uh, immune to mind-affecting effects. Well, not interesting. It works out well. The Shifter 1 allows them to add one-fifth to their natural armor bonus, which is, since they already get plus two, that can grow even higher. A couple options allow them to add druid spells to their spell list, particularly the sorcerer. And lastly, the witch gets, this one's unique, I think, the witch gets one-fourth of a bonus to their caster level when attempting dispel checks using dispel magic and similar effects. I like it. I like I like that they added just this little twinge of flavor at the end where, hey, look, I can dispel magic because I was in a quote-unquote magic blasted. I love that. I'm going to use that more. Land. I like that. Uh, there's sometimes when we talked about kind of like with the Kasatha, where you try to put too many things. Well, they're aliens, and they got forms, and they're, they're desert people. There's too much. So you can't really put enough time for each. Uh, I think they put just enough little, here's a little, a little taste of this extra little thing we couldn't quite fit into their lore. They get two archetypes and a new feature. The aromophile for the mesmerist which is instead of using hypnosis they do things based on aromas isn't that interesting yeah so instead of staring at people you kind of walk in the middle of them and release a bunch of spores and it kind of imparts your hypnotic stare they lose a bit for it but could potentially be powerful since you're affecting multiple people and the leaf shifter which is a shifter archetype we actually go in depth about in our extra credit episode for the shifter this might be the first race-specific archetype we've ever gone over. And they get a new Blood Rager, Bloodline Verdant. As expected, Verdant involves spells that interact with plants or enact plants, and you get things like natural armor. All right, so now we've gotten to the feats, Christian. We've got three feats. Let's take a look at them. Delectable Faint. You can distract opponents with your delectable rinds. Oh, they stop using the word rinds. <laughs> what? Con what does this mean? And a delicious and the delicious racial trait. Other creatures find you so tasty that they become distracted in combat, <laughs> allowing you to exploit their momentary lapses in concentration. You get a plus two bonus on bluff checks to feign living herbivores or omnivore creatures. In addition, whenever you successfully feign such an opponent, in addition to the normal effects of being feigned in combat, that opponent takes a minus two penalty on perception checks and concentration checks until the start of your next turn. Additionally, 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 in addition. I would never pick this, but I love it. <laughs> just the idea of so, like you're just locked in a duel with a swashbuckler. He's like, man, those those petals are looking tasty. Ah, I caught you. <laughs> Did you use a new shampoo in your hair? Are those strawberries? Oh, and I'm dead. <laughs> Gorns can pick inner light. Some Gorns glow with a nurturing inner light. This requires them to have 13 wisdom. Once per day, you can cast Daylight as a spell-like ability. If you have the light-dependent racial trait, you can instead cast a spell without the usual effect, but you are considered to be exposed to sunlight for that day. Weird well, that it means without the usual effect. Because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the usual effect says it acts like sunlight. Let me double check yeah. that. Oh no, what an overpowered thing it would be to spend a feat. 
Despite its name, the spell is not equivalent of daylight for the purposes of creatures that are damaged or destroyed by such lights. Okay, so there's precedence. Daylight isn't technically daylight. There's Sproutling. You're able to sprout more quickly than most, though your body is underdeveloped. You need a charisma of 15 and the seed racial trait. Whenever you use your seed ability to grow a new body, you can choose to sprout in half the normal amount of time, 1d6 days instead of 2d6. If you do, your new body is small instead of medium. Your natural armor bonus from racial traits, if any, is reduced by half. And you take a minus 2 penalty to strength, dex, and constitution. These modifications last 1d3 weeks, after which your body matures to its proper size and loses all penalties associated with sprouting early. Uh, interesting, but not, I don't see why I'd pick it. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it should just be the remaining, you know, another 1d6 days. Otherwise, it kind of seems silly. Yeah, 1d3 weeks? You're telling me for 21 days I could be basically crippled if I'm not a spellcaster? I'd rather not. But I guess that's better than just being a little flower sprout and being completely helpless. They only get one item. I guess this is the result of them only getting five instead of six pages. The Propagation Pod. So the Propagation Pod is this cool sort of clay jar. And it's big enough that it can fit somebody crouching inside of it. And you can expel your seed into it. And that's gross. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> Isa, really? Uh, your new body grows like normal. Except when it reaches full maturity, it doesn't wake up. It stays in stasis indefinitely until you die. Christian, this is your your infinite respawn, as you were talking about earlier, that you wanted to use this ability for. Put it in here, and as soon as you're dead, you don't have to worry about 2d6 days. Going back, you've literally planted yourself in a pot, you've sealed it up, and you have a clone stasis ready to go after you die. Man, for 48,000 gold, I better get infinite respawns. Oh, it's a one-time use item, Christian. It is. So once yes, it's it used, it breaks it just... apart into clay. Mmm. So, sounds to me like it's a story I <laughs> So it's actually more expensive than Resurrection Spell, but it's a little more flexible. you carrying it with you. You're all set to go immediately. There's no worry about the side quest the GM's going to put you on about going to go find a, a cleric who will cast the spell on you if only you're good enough. Is he worth bringing back? Dude, I've got 40,000 gold. Just do it. <laughs> and they get a spell. Christian, talk to me about delectable flesh. They really like the word delectable. Going along with their flavor... Gorns get more spells Ugh. that affect their taste. Um, Christian, it, that literally hurt my heart. Good. It, it's a level 7 spell for druids and shamans. It is a level 6 spell for wizards and the like. So, a pretty late game spell. So, you target a creature and everyone nearby it has to make a will save. If they fail their will save, they become depraved and just convinced that that person's flesh is so delectable they need to have it. And they become completely singular in their thought they have to chase down that person they have to eat their flesh they gain a bite attack and two claw attacks and the scent ability to chase after this person and eat them a rather powerful spell i believe yeah you're pretty much just turning people into zombies here enjoy these natural attacks go eat my friend or eat their friend no no my friend he stole that from me i told him to stop it he <laughs> laughed at me and said we can do kill me i've got a seed in the ground well i just hope it's painful to be reborn from a seed because he's about to have to do it <laughs> How vindictive of a player are you, Caleb? <laughs> Word a little bit weird. It talks about 
All other creatures within 15 feet of the target that can smell the target's delectable flesh. This is the problem with using the word delectable over and over again. The dele- It doesn't say it, you turn a creature into having delectable flesh. So the way this is worded, it kind of makes me think you can only cast it on a Goron, but I really doubt the way it's intended. No. A little bit weird, the wording, but I think you can figure it out. Target is all creatures in a 15-foot radius burst centered on a single living creature. So as long as it's a living creature, you can target it with the spell, and people want to eat them. Oh, you can't do it to the, the lich. All of a sudden, all the skeletons turn around and go, yo. <laughs> no, I haven't eaten food in hundreds of years, and I'm just liking the idea more and more. Well, Christian, that's the Gorn in Ultimate Wilderness. What do you think? I feel like the vast majority of what we got was the lore extension, which I think is really good. Um, Mechanics-wise, I think Gorn were already, like, pretty balanced. And I probably would have already said, like, myself, you know, you just don't get the plan immunity. So building that in makes it a lot simpler. I think it is a great race to pick for any nature-themed campaign or even campaigns outside of nature i think this is a very well-rounded race that i would put potentially in any campaign i like the idea of plant people i think this has been executed very cleanly i sort of want to play a gorn now the appearance is really striking the art does a fantastic job you only want to play a gorn so you can cast delectable flesh on your allies <laughs> I, have, I have no interest in being eaten or making other people eat other people that feels a little <laughs> vorish And listen, I'm glad they're working in everybody's fetishes into the books. It's just not mine. And I still feel like they have strong stats, not a terrible drawback, very thematic. I actually really like the backstory or probably use it in my homebrew campaign. Not a lot here that makes me angry or upset. The only real problem I had with it was from a design philosophy over the plant trait that they have that removes their plant immunities. Something I can easily get over. Good job. We need, we wanted a plant creature. We've got a plant creature. Let me just say though, I'm never going to use that thing to rebirth quicker because I don't want to be a small plant dude. Who wants to be a small plant dude? Am I right, Christian? Well, if you do want to be a small plant dude, coming up no next one does. is the vine leshy. And yeah, you do, Caleb. You really do. <laughs> have you seen them? Christian, I haven't touched the Vine Leshy. I'll be exploring it for the first time with you and the audience. It's like a Chia pet made of friendliness and love. <laughs> Sounds exciting. So that'll be our next episode, and it's the last entry into the Ultimate Wilderness book. I'm looking forward to covering with you guys. Thank you all for listening, and class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening. Hey, Brian, you want to play role-playing games tonight? I can't. My body's trapped in this strange membrane. Wow, should I take you to a doctor? Nah, it feels really good. Just put my earbuds in. No, that's just wrong. But here at Tales from the Lich, we're all right. When you can't play, listen. TalesFromTheLich.com <sighs> That's just wrong. <laughs>